I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Hi. Today, we have the next installment of our series of Snackisodes on Dangerous Snacks. Snack donkey. JJ, what is the topic for today? Xylitol. The sneaky bastard. Hides in your peanut butter and shit. Yes, it does. It hides in a lot of things, which mm-hmm. we're definitely going to go over. Rude little fucker. Mm. I have a potty mouth today. Maybe I should wash Chew some f- gum. <laughs> some soap-flavored gum. <laughs> anyway, this is serious business. Absolutely. So, tell me about some xylitol toxicity. Xylitol toxicity in the dog causes hypoglycemia and sometimes acute hepatotoxicity. It is not reported in cats, either clinically or experimentally. This is really a dog problem. Hmm. Yeah. So what is xylitol? Xylitol is a sugar alcohol. Hmm. It is found naturally in many plants and mushrooms. It can also be made from processing xylan, which is a substance found in some hardwood trees. I think that's why it's sometimes called like birch bark extract. Mm -hmm. Xylitol is used as a sweetener in people food, and it can provide the same level of sweetness as sugar with about 40% fewer calories. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of impressive. It also has antimicrobial properties and is used in dental health regimens. So... Some xylitol-containing gums are, you know, meant to be chewed X times per day to help, uh, like, with um, gingivitis. Additionally, some mouthwashes have xylitol, etc. It is found in a super large number of household products, both food and non-food substances. And so I'm going to try to kind of just go through the list really quick. Mm -hmm. But just know that this list is not comprehensive. So... Candy, gum, baked goods, jellies and other condiments, drinks and drink powders, peanut butter and other nut butters. Mm -hmm. Peanut butter is commonly given to dogs as a snack. Most people don't know that some peanut butters contain xylitol, so you got to check the labels. It might be in protein bars or powders, toothpaste and other oral hygiene products. Sometimes it's even in medications, vitamins and supplements. And in cosmetics, sunscreen, disposable diapers. What the fuck? I don't know. And hair care products. Oh, I know why it's in disposable diapers. It's a humectant. So it's like a skin moisturizer, Mm -hmm. too. So, yeah, if you're, you know, doing your hair in the morning and if you're like me and use a lot of hair products and they drip in the floor, if it's got xylitol, don't let your dog lick it off the floor. That's exactly right. And so this is, again, just an abbreviated list, like lots of things Mm -hmm. create or lots of things contain xylitol. And then this is strange. Did you know that xylitol can be found in clothing? But why? (laughs) Because it's used in like sports clothing, especially for its antimicrobial and cooling properties. Interesting. Although there is no data available on whether there is any bioavailable xylitol so, for example, like in clothes. So, like if your dog ate your sport shorts, yeah, is it going to be a problem? We don't know. Yeah, we it don't might know. Cause if, an obstruction. But. Yes, like it could definitely be a linear <laughs> foreign body, but as far as xylitol toxicity, 
The oral bioavailability of xylitol in fabrics is unknown at this time. <laughs> Interesting. Now, the amount of xylitol in these products varies quite widely. Sometimes it can be difficult to figure out because manufacturers might consider this proprietary information. The xylitol content of manufactured food products is not required to be listed on the label. That's scary. And the amount in each product can vary quite substantially. Determining the amount of xylitol in a particular manufactured product can therefore be pretty difficult. But I'm going to go over some information a little bit later about like how we might try to figure that out when we have a patient that's eaten a specific product that we need to know about. Sometimes there's even xylitol contained in oral health products for dogs and cats, so that's important to know. So some in particular, like water additives meant to reduce plaque buildup, might have some xylitol. Now with those products, there is not enough xylitol in them to cause illness as long as these products are mixed and diluted correctly. But if the pet got into the undiluted product, there might be a problem there. So mm. that's something to be aware of. Yikes. So what happens when humans and other non-dog type species eat xylitol? Well, not much. So uh, most animals and people handle this fine. In horses, cats, and humans, xylitol does not really trigger significant insulin release. So no blood sugar change is noted. In cows, rats, and goats, xylitol creates a bit less or maybe somewhat similar amounts of insulin release as a similar amount of sugar, mm -hmm. like table sugar, like sucrose. In rabbits, really high doses of xylitol might stimulate higher insulin release than the same amount of sucrose, but it's still not going to be like an asinine amount, okay? It's going to mm -hmm. be just kind of like a little bit high. Um, but at low doses, the xylitol will create a similar insulin response in rabbits as does like table sugar. And in these species, ingestion of xylitol does not really result in any sort of dangerous insulin response, and they are essentially completely fine after eating it. Well, what happens when the dog eats the xylitol? Well, unfortunately, in dogs, even very small amounts of xylitol can result in a massive insulin release. And this insulin response can be as much as seven times as high as the response caused by, like, dextrose, for example. Yikes. And this massive insulin release creates life-threatening low blood sugar or hypoglycemia. Mm. So what about the liver problems that some dogs experience after they eat the xylitol? What causes that? We aren't sure. There are a couple of proposed mechanisms. Uh one is depletion of hepatocellular ATP, so essentially the energy that runs the liver cells kind of runs out. Or it might be related to oxidative injury to the hepatocytes, to the liver cells, or maybe some combination, or it could be some other mechanism that we haven't considered yet. We're just not sure. So do other sugar alcohols cause this response in dogs? No. Uh, mannitol, sorbitol, erythritol, etc., all of those are completely fine for dogs to eat. They do not trigger the same massive insulin response that xylitol triggers in dogs. So how much do they have to eat to get sick? So um, clinical hypoglycemia is going to result from eating greater than somewhere between 0 0.075 and 0 0.1 grams per kilogram. 
or if you prefer 75 to 100 milligrams per kilogram of xylitol, we are going to start seeing the life-threatening hepatic failure with ingestion of upwards of 0.5 grams per kilogram, which is 500 milligrams per kilogram. Because there are individual variations in clinical response, there's not really a good correlation between the dose that we see and the level of liver injury. So when liver injury happens over that 0.5 grams per kilogram amount, there doesn't seem to be like progressive injury with higher amounts. How can we find out how much xylitol a dog is eating when it's not necessarily explicitly stated on the package? Yeah, so unfortunately, manufacturers are not required to list the amount of xylitol that is included in their products. One way around this is to call animal poison control. They will keep databases on all their cases, so sometimes they have proprietary information stored and will be able to look up the product that you're calling about pretty easily. But if that fails, you could use the nutritional label of food packages to approximate the xylitol amount. And you can do this by looking at the number of sugar alcohols and the amount of carbohydrates listed on the nutritional label. So if xylitol is the only sugar alcohol in the ingredients list and there is any amount of sugar alcohol listed on the label, you would want to assume that the amount of sugar alcohol is all xylitol and that this would be the amount the dog ingested. Whatever's on the label times the number of servings ingested would be the total amount of xylitol in a case like that. And if xylitol is the only sugar alcohol listed in the ingredients and there is no sugar alcohol amount listed on the label, you could use the carbohydrate content to estimate the amount of xylitol. So if there's no fiber or sugar listed on the label, then you would assume that the total carb count is the amount of xylitol ingested. Or if there are other sugar alcohols on the list of ingredients, but xylitol is listed first, you would just still assume that the entire amount was xylitol. And then if other sugar alcohols are listed, but xylitol is not the first on the list, you would divide the amount of sugar alcohol content by where xylitol falls on the list. So for example, if xylitol was the third sugar alcohol on the list, then you would divide the total sugar alcohol content by three to calculate the amount of xylitol. You could also use a default rule that 0.3 milligrams per serving is like the standard amount of xylitol, uh, but you can accidentally underestimate the amount of xylitol ingested with this calculation. What clinical signs can we expect to see with xylitol toxicosis? Signs of hypoglycemia are going to be noted, and those are going to be things like anorexia, vomiting, diarrhea, lethargy ataxia, restlessness, weakness, collapse, seizures, or even coma. Now, typically, hypoglycemia occurs within 30 to 60 minutes of ingestion, so it's pretty fast, mm -hmm. and it's often profound hypoglycemia that we see. The one exception to the quick rule would be that xylitol-containing gum might take longer to create blood sugar changes. That's because it takes time for xylitol to leach out of the gum base. And this is especially true if it's just been swallowed and not chewed. <laughs> Most dogs don't chew gum, I don't mm -hmm. think. I think they just hoof it down. Mm -hmm. 
Liver enzyme elevations are seen beginning four to six hours after ingestion. And then clinical signs of liver insufficiency like icterus, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain might not occur for 12 to 72 hours after ingestion. You might see hepatic encephalopathy, which is going to be like neurologic signs related to liver failure or coagulation issues because the liver is responsible for producing important coagulation factors. And then dogs get dogs who get liver toxicity may or may not also experience the hypoglycemia. Hmm. So what diagnostic testing abnormalities would we expect to see in a dog that's ingested xylitol? Oh, they're quite nonspecific. Uh, <laughs> on a CBC, anemia or thrombocytopenia might be noted if there is a coagulopathy from a liver toxicity. On the biochemistry profile, of course, you're going to see hypoglycemia. And you might see liver enzyme elevations or elevated bilirubin. Occasionally, we will see hypokalemia, which is low potassium, and either hypo or hyperphosphatemia, so high or low phosphorus. If severe bleeding is happening secondary to liver failure, we might see low albumin or low total protein. And then there was just a note to watch out for something like the Samoji effect happening, which is a rebound hyperglycemia that results from the liver dumping glycogen. So essentially, if the patient has definitely eaten xylitol and you check the blood sugar and the blood sugar is high, don't assume that the owner is wrong. This could be the Samoji effect. I learned about this a lot in vet school, and then I feel like in the subsequent years, there have been several articles that have come out that kind of questioned whether it even occurs, and I only really found this in one reference, so take that with a grain of salt, mm. okay? And then finally, on a coagulation profile, we might see some changes if liver failure is happening and we've developed a coagulopathy, so activated clotting time, prothrombin time, and partial thromboplastin time might be elevated. And this process can progress to disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC. And in that case, D-dimer and fibrin degradation products would also be elevated. Are there any breed predispositions? Not really. There's no age sex or breed predilection. Um, however, in one study, there was a median age of 3.2 years for dogs ingesting xylitol. We tend to kind of associate eating dumb things with animals being young, but mm -hmm. I've seen really old patients who sometimes just indiscriminately ingest literally anything that they can get their hands on. Yep. So how would you go about treating it? Well, we're going to treat the hypoglycemia first, right? Mm -hmm. So dextrose, give it IV, give them a bolus especially if they're already low. Then you're going to want to put them on a continuous rate infusion of dextrose. Going ahead and starting a CRI of dextrose might have a protective effect on the liver. You want to induce vomiting if they haven't already vomited. Uh, you don't want to have owners do this at home. Because clinical signs happen so rapidly after ingestion of xylitol, if the owner's calling her like, hey, my dog just got into all this gum, be like, put him in the car. Mm -hmm. and then give the apomorphine when you get here, okay? If more than 30 minutes have passed since the ingestion, inducing vomiting is probably unlikely to be effective just because of how quickly it's absorbed. I'll say maybe the one exception to that might be the gum situation, okay? 
it's important to note that activated charcoal is not effective at binding xylitol and is therefore not recommended in cases of xylitol ingestion. Mm -hmm. If the patient is able to eat and hold down food, you want to offer frequent high-carb meals that's in addition to the dextrose CRI. These guys need to be in the hospital. You want to consider hepatoprotectants, so medication supplements to protect the liver, although there is no hard and fast data that demonstrates their effectiveness. These might include S-adenosylmethionine, silmarin, or acetylcysteine. Supportive care is important, so IV fluid therapy, maybe some antiemetics to prevent further vomiting. And otherwise, you just treat for symptoms of hypoglycemia. If hepatic encephalopathy or coagulopathies are present, you would treat them how you normally do as well. This is the case where you want to grab your other resources, grab your ER textbook, get on Zen, read some book chapters, and figure out what you're wanting to do. So what should you do as far as monitoring goes? Definitely take a blood sugar right at presentation, understanding that if they're not hypoglycemic right when they come in, that does not mean that they're in the clear, but you mm -hmm. want to see how low is it going. Then they need to be in the hospital, okay? The, these guys just need to stay. You want to check the blood sugar every one to two hours for at least 12 hours, even if the pet seems 100% normal when they cross your threshold. We want to get a minimum database, so a complete blood count and a chemistry profile with electrolytes and maybe some urine, okay? Then the patient can be discharged once it can hold its own blood sugar normally for at least six hours without any help of IV sugar. At 48 to 72 hours, we want to recheck the liver values to see if there have been any changes since admission. What's the prognosis? Well, for those guys that develop uncomplicated hypoglycemia and are given prompt medical treatment, the prognosis is excellent. It's more uncertain when those dogs have hepatotoxicity. Dogs with hepatotoxicity definitely need more aggressive treatment than the ones that just have the low blood sugar. And then we might need to give a guarded or poor prognosis if a dog presents with hyperphosphatemia, coagulopathies, disseminated intravascular coagulation, hepatic encephalopathy, or pulsus alterans, which I had to look up what that was. Pulsus alterans is an arterial pulse waveform showing alternating strong and weak beats, and it can be indicative of a systemic inflammatory response. <laughs> so if that's present, guarded prognosis. Mm. Uh, how can we prevent xylitol toxicity? Well, I think the big thing here is educating clients to read labels, to look out for xylitol and to just maintain an awareness of what they offer their pet or what their pet can get into. Definitely don't leave any products containing xylitol out where dogs can access them. Just don't do it. For people who have dogs that just like to eat every damn thing, I'm like, don't bring your sugarless gum in the house, man. Mm -hmm. Like, just don't do it. Don't give them any reason to be able to get into it. And if they're in the car with you and you have gum in your purse, mm -hmm. put it, keep keep that put it away. away. And then you want to be aware when prescribing medications. So some over-the-counter syrups for humans or even prescription syrups for humans might contain xylitol as a part of like flavoring. Mm -hmm. And a lot of human pharmacists have no idea that xylitol is toxic to dogs. 
and with people relying on human pharmacies more and more to fill prescriptions, there is a, a potential recipe for a disaster waiting to happen here. Mm-hmm. But one product I know for sure has xylitol-containing preparations out there is liquid gabapentin. Okay, so I'm just going to give you all a warning on the podcast. If you are sending in a prescription for liquid gabapentin to any kind of retail pharmacy, you need to write on that prescription. May not contain xylitol. Xylitol is toxic to dogs because we can accidentally get into a real bad situation on there. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty short and sweet. Xylitol is, again, very straightforward as a toxic exposure. And scary. And scary. A hundred percent. So before we wrap the episode, we're going to do a recommendations corner. And, you know, this season of the podcast is stretching a little bit longer than they ever have before because we got started a little bit late. So we've actually never brought you episodes in November before. So that gives us an exciting opportunity to make some recommendations about fall books, TV shows, movies, etc. Maybe particularly, you know, involving Thanksgiving-y themes for those of us who lived here in the U.S., okay? Or maybe just like non-Halloween fall stuff Mm -hmm. since we're moving out of official spooky season. So we're going to give you some recommendations about what to do to occupy your time between holidays. (laughs) JJ, what's a recommendation that you have? So typically when it's fall weather, I have to watch Pride and Prejudice. Okay. I just have to do it. Or which version? The Kira Knightley. Okay. 2005, I think, yes. right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because it's my fave. Mm-hmm. Um, also, sometimes Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think of Harry Potter as like a Thanksgiving movie. It's kind of... I feel like fall the, is Thanksgiving and Christmas combined, really. But yeah, I feel like the like the marathons that they'll run on TBS or whatever or seem to always be around Thanksgiving mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could get down with that. It's like not a very Christmassy movie explicitly, but it's like just enough holidayishness that I'm like, okay, I can tolerate this at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. What else? Anything else? Um, like I had one more, but it's forgot. One that I really like to watch around this time of the year would be like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm-hmm. because I feel like with the days getting shorter, I mean, here in Alabama, when the time changes, it'll get dark at damn 430 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like you have this super dark, it's chilly outside, you want to just be in with the fire going, you know. And so having this like epic movie to watch is is fun. Plus, I feel like there is a family movie watching element to Thanksgivings, um, or at least there has been in my life. And so I think that that is a good trilogy to consider for like family movie watching, maybe especially introducing young relatives Mm -hmm. to fantasy, you know, and that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. One other one, this is going to be really (laughs) off the wall. And I don't even know that I really even like this movie very much, other than it, it could be that it's not that I like it, but that it's just a tradition in a way, <laughs> would be um, Gone with the Wind. Never seen it. 
I don't, you know, I, I think that's fine. (laughs) You know, it's not, it's pretty, you know, gosh, talk about problematic films, you know, Mm -hmm. for the modern day. It has lots of elements that you're like, hmm, this is maybe not great. So that's why I say, I don't, is it that I like that movie? Am I recommending it? Or is it just... You've always done it. Something that often is on TV that my my mom and I end up watching at Thanksgiving. I don't know. Probably the second thing. Hmm. And then lastly, maybe The Sound of Music would Hmm. be the other. Now, The Sound of Music is one of my mom's flipping favorite movies. Mm -hmm. I, again, could take it or leave it, you know, but I'll watch it for her. Okay. I will. The Sound of Music is... So that's something that, like, for some reason, like, especially my mom's side of the family, they were way into it. And Mm -hmm. when I was little, my aunt would have it on. Like, if she was around, she would have it on a lot. And that 805 song. Oh, yeah. Plus that guy. emotional response. Who's that guy? um, That song? Yeah, the main actor guy. I couldn't tell you. He, look, now, he's good looking. He's a good looking man. (laughs) <laughs> like a man. He can sing nice. Yeah, he can. I just and it also like anytime I've ever been around and I hear that song, I'm like immediately soothed and happy. Yeah. But I remember when I was in college, um, one of my roommates was a music major. Mm-hmm. And whenever they weren't like feverishly practicing, she and some of her music major friends would come over. And there was one dude, I'm not sure where he was from, but he was so cool. His name was Frank. And he was incredibly talented with music. And there was one night where I'd had like a shit week. I'd had lots of stuff going on at school. Also, I was working and had a shit week working at Subway. The sandwich artist business was not making me happy. Yeah. And I was I was laying on the couch and I was just trying to, you know, I didn't know they were coming. I was having myself a little, you know, I'm by myself. I'm going to turn off the lights and I'm going to have myself a little cry and get this over with. And I was just on the couch and I was like trying to like, you know, and it was like he knew he just came in. He kneeled down by the couch and started singing Edelweiss. I don't know how he he had no idea that that was. And it was like the most perfect thing. I was like, this is divine intervention, something amazing. And I was just like, (laughs) so he just kind of he just kind of petted my shoulder a little bit and kept singing. And he just when it got to the end, he started over. He probably sang it three times. And I'm like. Can I just adopt you? I, or was, was there a significant age difference? No. No. I was going to say, like, I would immediately begin dating Frank. <laughs> I mean, I had a boyfriend at the time. but Okay. I guess. But, you're I right. mean, I mean, I, it, it, well, it, it, earned, married. it earned Frank some, some <laughs> yeah, points. There would definitely be some... Some point earning happening I'm with like, that. Yeah. If he if he, he <laughs> just come home and see that every day, I'm just like. Um, invite Frank over more often. <laughs> Frank was amazing. I, I loved Frank. Frank so, is a real one. Yes. Okay. One other one that I can recommend would be, so, you know, I love Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So each year, pretty much every single year, they have a Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly on Hulu, they'll like pull all of the Thanksgiving episodes and like put them in a bundle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the you know, main character owner of the restaurant, Bob, is like Thanksgiving is his favorite holiday. (laughs) And he always cooks the turkey and it's just the whole thing. Uh, So if you see the first Thanksgiving episode, then there's like running jokes about him, like talking to the turkey and all this. 
And so I could strongly recommend all of the Thanksgiving episodes of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> In fact, I feel like that is like a ritual that Carl and I keep up is like, we'll watch all the Halloween Bob's Burgers episodes at Halloween and then do all the Thanksgiving ones. And then at Christmas, we'll do all the Christmas ones, like, mm. you know, in like a happy bundle. Cute. Mm -hmm. I like it. Okay, guys. Well, we're glad that you joined us. Uh, as we're pioneering into November for the first time in the podcast. It's weird. I hope everyone is doing well and that you'll continue to join us here during the holidays because we'll still be putting episodes out on Wednesdays. They might be scratch and sniff cranberry. Uh, <laughs> I will have okay, to look not. into whether that's possible. <laughs> I feel like it might not be. All right. If you have questions, comments, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media or on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Show sure do. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.